there are a few movies that pretend to show how bad it can be to be on drugs, but they never show you how good it is to be on drugs. On Elysia, come on, my best moments in life are love moments or drug moments, or when you mix them together, it's an explosion. Best, best, I know. I know many people here don't do drugs. You should regret it. <laughs> Seriously, the, the best moments of my life are mostly on drugs. to Queer Horror Cult. It's been a weird couple of months, and so I figured it would be a great way to celebrate that by doing a month of just debauched cinema. So this episode, we're going to be celebrating November, the movies of Gaspar Noé all month long. And by that, I mean mostly Climax. Uh, with me today, I've got, I think, our first three-peat guest of the show, uh, Nicole Boychuk. Welcome to the show yet again. Yay, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I think this is my third time. Well, it's it's a lot awesome. of fun having you on. So, yeah. Yeah, I always love talking about movies with you. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you're here in Edmonton. We both are. And uh, we've already hit that slump of it's like dark by about 4.30. And winter's just going to keep on trucking. So I don't know about you, but I kind of like settling in with some fucked up movies to get me through the winter. Yeah, I um I haven't been watching a lot of movies lately, so this was a good kind of refresher. Like I feel like I was watching it, and I was like, ah, oh, like this is what watching a movie that I really <laughs> like is like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, always good. Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to have you on to specifically to talk about this topic because you're pretty much the only person I, I know in real life who you know, goes to bat for this guy. Like, all my other friends kind of look at me a little weird, give a bit of the side-eye for loving his movies so much. Yeah, I'm, like, ride-or-die Gaspar Noe. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, that's great. Um, as I said, we're, the main one we're going to be talking about is Climax. Uh, it's probably one of my... It, I, I think I can honestly say it's probably my favorite movie of the 21st century so far. So I'm I'm pretty into it. And y'all can't see this right now, but Laurie has a Climax poster <laughs> behind them in the video that I'm looking at right now. So yeah, I can confirm. <laughs> that's, uh, I think, the only movie poster I currently have hung up. So that's that's about where I'm at these days. I got that through uh, the Metro, one of their poster sales. They had one of those, so I had to snag it. You braved their poster sale. I tried to go to their last one, and the lineup was, like, out Side, like wrapping around the whole theater and it was oh. raining and I like I literally like drove there drove past and was just like nope okay it wasn't that bad when I went this was would have been the 2019 one like right before the pandemic and, oh, okay uh, yeah this was uh the one I'm talking about was this year's I think it happened in September and I feel okay. like 
people over the pandemic really like got into movies as like a, a hobby so at least that's what I've kind of been noticing like I feel like everyone's just like yeah like I'm watching like good movies now yeah so I think that contributed to like the 90 person lineup outside so what you're saying is the pandemic's actually a secret ploy by like I can't hear do cinema to get people to watch real movies. Yeah, big cinema. Right on. What was what's your experience with uh, Gaspar Noe been? Um, good question. I I guess like my experience with him is like always reading about uh, irreversible. Right. And um, just like thinking like everything that you read about that movie is just like it's the most like intense like fucked up film ever like I can barely like watch this like blah 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 so I think that's kind of what drew me into exploring his filmography though that's like one of his films that I haven't seen yet (laughs) I'm like a little scared just based on everyone's uh everyone's reviews and like I don't know I just don't really find you know like somebody getting assaulted to be like the best way to spend my time even though like I do like like rape revenge films I just I don't know this one seems intense it yeah it it definitely is and uh it's one of those ones that from where I'm standing I think it both does and doesn't live up to the hype in in sort of how the controversy is portrayed because like that particular aspect of it is absolutely brutal for sure but uh, people also seem to talk about it as if, like, you will become uh, an immoral shell of yourself if you witness this movie. Yeah, and if you make it through, it'll put uh, hair on your chest. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, controversial, controversial movies to sort of, I like seeing what the controversy is about. But at the same time, I also have enough self-respect that I can just look at some movies and be like, you know what? I I don't need that in my brain. So I'm just going to keep on walking. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I was reading about um, one of his short uh, pornography films called Sodomite. Oh yeah. Descriptions just like leather clad men and women lounge around a large room as a minotaur enters and proceeds to sodomize a willing and eager young woman. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that sounds like something I would love, but I just don't think I should, like, subject myself to that. Like, I don't need those images in my brain. Yeah. I've never seen that one. So um, that description is pretty wild. (laughs) And one of the, uh, one of the letterboxed comments was um, the only comment on this video on Pornhub from someone who probably (laughs) thought this was porn quotations this gave me a migraine and no erection at all end quotation (laughs) (laughs) oh god his movies showing up on Pornhub is definitely something yeah it's very uh no way (laughs) yeah because I watched his other sort of porny short uh we fuck alone from Destricted have you seen that one no it's uh it's not my favorite of his movies it's weird to watch and it is probably like him doing peak strobing for the movie but like not in a way that's like quite seizure inducing as it is just like this rolling strobe where you get like about a second of visual a second of black and it just keeps fading back and forth between the two for about 40 minutes so by the end of it you just you just feel like your brain's kind of turned to jelly and it's also just like the visuals aren't great 
it's uh you know it's like yeah cool that dude is i can only describe this as assaulting a blow-up doll that's <laughs> interesting choice of film he fucks alone hey fucks alone um, the title's right there yeah um so i guess my like i'm just trying to think i think my first um venture into his filmography was with love though i find it to be extremely boring Okay. Um, I I like that it's so controversial and like subjective. Yeah. Um, and I guess like my like the best thing about it is that he like fully went for it and did a come shot in three D. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, I've never actually seen that one. Is uh, but you say it's kind of boring or. Yeah, it's kind of dull. It's kind of like about like the memories of this couple like this uh guy is like going through his head like kind of like moments with his girlfriend who we find out is like maybe missing and kind of like their life together before a bunch of stuff happens and um like it turns out like i don't know are we doing spoilers like will people get mad um yeah go go for it we can skim ahead like hit that like advance by 30 seconds button a couple times if you don't want to hear <laughs> yeah so it turns out like at one point in their relationship their like sex life is going to kind of dull so they like introduce their like a younger kind of like teenage neighbor into their relationship as like a threesome partner okay. and then the guy um in the relationship like i think his name was like murphy or something like that um he continues the relationship with the third afterwards and ends up getting her pregnant. She doesn't want to have an abortion. So they ended up raising a baby together where his like OG girlfriend left. And um, yeah, then we find out at the beginning of the movie that uh, like she's gone missing, like her mom comes to the door and is like, Hey, have you seen her? And then that's kind of what starts um, the sequence of like memories. Okay. Sounds like it's intri- it could be intriguing, but I also saw the two and a half hour runtime and I was wondering like, is this a movie that warrants a two and a half hour runtime or two fifteen or whatever it is? Yeah, I think you'd probably watch it on like one point five times the speed. Gotcha. Yeah. There's not too much dialogue until um closer to the end, so Okay. And uh have you seen any of his other movies besides that in Climax? Yeah, I've seen uh, Enter the Void. Um, Actually, that's like a really funny film experience for me. I saw it on film, like 35 millimeter in uh, New York at the Metrograph. And um, yeah, it was definitely an experience. I don't know, we can maybe go into it later if we end up talking about Enter the Void a little bit. And then um, this year I watched Vortex, which I was really excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lux Eterna, um, I watched pretty recently. Okay. So yeah, yeah we, so we've seen, seen most the same ones. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. But I guess uh, we can get into some of those other ones a bit, depending on how time goes. Uh, before that, I guess uh, we could talk about Climax. Uh, what was your experience watching this movie? Yeah, first time was a, a couple of years ago. It, I, I think it was part of dead fest maybe like dead fest last year or something like that so i saw that metro um actually did a double feature with this 
and climax and uh the house that um jack built by okay. Lars so just like an absolute insane evening like <laughs> i should have just been driven right to the institution after but um yeah like i when i first watched this movie i think i was like blown away i was smiling from the first like five minutes and then yeah i don't think i stopped until things started getting pretty serious right and uh today when i re-watched climax um i think yeah it was like for the second time today and i definitely have like different feelings about it now i think seeing it in the theater really like adds to it okay like i don't remember it being so crazy you know like so intense right so so what do we got with this movie it starts with this woman walking through the snow all bloody while this like really nice classical music plays right and um yeah just a beautiful scene yeah just the overhead and it's a I love how you get the mix of the non-diegetic score but also just the sound of the movie it's just you hear the stomps of the of the feet in the snow with like her depraved cries out and it's just like it's weird how quiet it is even though it still has a score going over it and everything but it's just like I I don't know I love that as a cold open for the movie yeah it's very stark like in your face immediately it it confronts you with this like completely white screen and then this like bloodied woman and yeah like you said like the score and the music it just really hits you in the face first thing yeah, because I, I think uh, I, I, I've never seen this at theaters, which I, I feel sad about. But I remember putting this on just even on video, just like you, you kind of I know sort of what to expect from a Noe movie at this point, because I think this had been probably my third or fourth go at his work. And um, even then, it was just like, oh, dear, this is going to this is going to get fucked up. And it's funny that it kind of does, but kind of doesn't as well because I was going off of uh, Irreversible and Enter the Void for this one and mm-hmm. it's like it's not quite as depraved as those movies but it also is pretty gutting yeah absolutely and then uh, we we see of course one of my favorite things that he does because it reminds me of um, sort of old Hollywood sort of thing where the credits come right at the start before anything else and uh, it's almost become his like trademark to do the cre- the, the end titles first And it's like, I don't know, I kind of like that because why not? With the music, you're easing me into the movie. Yeah, I really like that approach. And um, it's funny that you bring up, like it reminds you of old Hollywood because I was reading um, that that is like fully his intention. It's like he loves when when movies just stop at the end. Like it doesn't drag on. Um, He feels like it's like more impactful. And um, yeah, he totally took that from older Hollywood films. Oh, that's cool. That's that's cool. I've uh, so I, I enjoy a fair few movies that are sort of um, 40s, 50s, and uh, I, I it, it sets a mood. There, there's just this mood to that kind of filmmaking where you get the big bombastic beginning titles, and then the movie plays out, and you get the last shot of the movie, and then at most you'll just get the end pop up on the screen, and you're like, okay, cool. So that last <laughs> image really sticks with you, rather than you see the last image and then you either walk out while the credits are going or you sit there and watch the credits for five minutes while, uh, you know, the movie like ends and then it doesn't end. So I, I like that. I can agree with his sense of finality with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does that. And um, 
guess we can get into this when it shows up again because it happens a few times in the movie. But I absolutely love the title designs in his flicks. He uh, works with the same guy. His name's Tom Can, who's done a few of his movies, and I just absolutely love the guy's work in the graphic design there. Um, that is like probably one of the things that drew me to his work is yeah, like the titles and the use of language in the film. It reminds mm-hmm. me of um seeing like kind of conceptual work in an art gallery um right it reminds me what's his name Oslan, like uh the director of the square and triangle of sadness also uses big text in his film okay um and yeah i just love it like i think it it adds so much kind of context and gives you kind of something to think about as well like theme wise i guess yeah, I can I can totally uh, see that through through all his work, he does that, and um, it's interesting because it's almost like betraying that rule of show don't tell by it's like very explicitly telling you, but in this way that's very confronting. That it's it's not like a, a character turning to the audience and saying what they're thinking, but at the same time, it's just like we're not going to dance around the bush with with this thought, especially because uh, the phrases are. Like in Lux Eterna, it's quotes from different filmmakers. And then uh, in this one, it's almost like little snippets of philosophy. So uh, you still have to try and interpret it, even though the movie's just straight up saying, like, here's, we're talking directly to you, the audience. We're not being coy about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, like, when you said, like, it's kind of, especially in Climax, like, some quotes that are a little bit more philosophical, I think that that's also like one of the reasons why I really appreciate his work because to me he is kind of like a little bit of a philosopher like Mm -hmm. I the way that he writes and he thinks about life and how he puts that into his films um and then the text that he's able to put in it just yeah really I don't know it kind of elevates it to me like it seems academic almost Mm -hmm. oh I was just gonna say I did write down the quotes um that were in climax Oh, yeah. If we want to just quickly go over them. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one that we see, um, I wasn't able to write down the one that's like immediately after the opening credits. But the second one that we see a little further in the film is birth is a unique opportunity. Okay. Yeah. And then then close to the end, um, it says life is a collective impossibility. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it says death is an extraordinary experience. Oh, okay. That, so. That's cool when you put them all together like that. Like, it's pretty clear the sort of almost three-act structure of the quotes that come up there. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of them in terms of, I guess maybe it'd make more sense that as we go through the plot, say what we make of them, because they're very tied to the moments that they appear in the movie. Totally. But yeah, so we get this opening scene and we get these titles and then it cuts to this shot of a TV. It's a, one of those like cathode ray tube TVs because this movie's set in uh, 96 and um, it's casting interviews for all the dancers that are in the movie. And uh, I, was, I watched this uh, with the commentary because I wanted to hear a bit more of, of that stuff. I've got the uh, Arrow Blu-ray of it, so I put the commentary on. And I guess that was almost an afterthought, that sequence. It wasn't originally planned. And they thought uh, at one point it was proposed, like maybe this would be something for the DVD. 
And they ended up thinking like, no, this works great for introducing the characters. So they filmed that after they filmed the main movie. So all the people had had a chance to develop their characters and then do this bit of exposition before the movie plays out. That's so cool. Um, Because, yeah, I guess without the introduction, you would really just be like thrown into Mm -hmm. this film. And then it's kind of like, why should I care about these characters? But when you spend because like it's like probably I don't know 15 minutes of like introductions right yeah it, it's it's a sizable portion of the movie like it's a sizable scene and it was some of the questions that um like you don't necessarily hear all of the questions I don't think that are asked to the auditioners but one of my favorite quotes from it was this guy he's saying I he just says like I come from hell and then he points behind him oh I yeah, there, there's. Uh, it's funny the role that France has in this movie too for for some of the yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that more this time um, through their interviews and like the flag, and then even looking at the poster behind you right now, it's like the colors. Yeah, it's, of the, the titles flag. and the covers, colors. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the one of the titles that comes up like when uh, the first dance sequence that comes shortly after this happens is it says a French film and proud of it, like in huge text. <laughs> and it's like, that's so wild, given what a lot of the people have to say about France in this movie. Exactly. It's just like so controversial, controversial, I can't say the word, in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of what I love about modern French cinema and why it's where my favorite movies are coming out of right now is because they're almost effortlessly controversial. And I like that about yeah. some of them. Yeah. They absolutely do not give a fuck in France. And yeah, I just can really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about the scene when it's got the TV is flanking on either side is a pile of books on one side and a pile of videotapes on the other. It becomes apparent when you see the movie, but he also confirms this in the commentary that the movies and book titles that are there are very specific to the themes of the movie. And um, the books are a little harder to read, but I know for movies, he's got like uh, Possession sitting there, Suspiria with the Dance Academy. And there's some Kenneth Anger movies and uh, Fassbender and all that in there. And uh, he said like, these are all the movies he had in mind when he was making this movie. And you can definitely see the influence um, of things like Suspiria and Kenneth Anger. And then like some of the um, scenes that we'll talk about later, very kind of referencing to possession Mm -hmm. um a little while ago I went through all of the books on um the side of the tv and uh, found them all and linked all of them for like where you could buy them if you could still get them Um, oh cool yeah so it's like definitely a really cool list um because there's some philosophy in there right yeah, like there's like Kafka and I don't know, like Freud and mm-hmm. what else is in there? Like, yeah, and he has like uh, Louis Bunnell's one of his books. And that's like one of the directors that he quotes in Lux Eterna. Right. Um, yeah, he has like a ton of stuff in there. A lot of like really weird stuff. Um, and like, like one of the books that I'm still trying to find is like Suicide Instructions for Use by Claude <laughs> Goat gold billion so it's just like i don't know really kind of lays out yeah the film 
Yeah, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for just being, you know, like, especially because he's such a unique filmmaker, but being able to lay out, it's like, yeah, I'm influenced by things too. Here's what they are, rather than that sort of like, uh, I don't know, there, there seems to almost be a taboo if you're a serious filmmaker in being very open with what directly influenced your work. And I find that a little weird that like, you can't just talk about like, oh yeah, I totally cribbed from this movie. Yeah, it's like a little gatekeepy in a way, yeah. but it's like, yeah, like we can celebrate other work through other people's artwork. Like, mm-hmm. all isn't the quote like all artists steal or something like that? So. Yeah, was it a uh, oh shit? Was it like Picasso who said like uh, good artists like borrow, great artists steal or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know the direct quote. I'm yeah, me neither. I guess I probably like Google it right now, but whatever. Yeah, we got it close enough. Yeah. But then um, after this scene, it cuts into more titles and we get some title cards for all the production companies with also probably one of my favorite musical stings in movies in a while where it just cuts into this really gnarly, almost like tornado siren before going into like a 70s disco track with the first dance sequence. I really love the soundtrack for this movie. And that's wild because I'm not really an electronic person when it comes to music. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to learn that like half of Daft Punk, Thomas Bangalter, yeah. did a couple of songs for the film. And like, um, yeah, there's just like a bunch of like really cool techno like house artists who yeah. he has tracks from. And yeah, I just kind of like respect that also from like the French side of it. Like French house is such a kind of big thing. Mm-hmm. or was a big thing in like the 90s so um it makes sense that he would like kind of have this type of score yeah he he mentioned uh well in the commentary they mentioned it sounded like about 10 percent of the budget went to locking down the soundtrack and he picked things based on the kind of stuff that he himself would go to clubs and dance to at this time that like the movie said so uh I, I think it, it is a very personal soundtrack in terms of what he picked to, to throw up there. And uh, yeah, it's a good one. I'm still trying to get a copy of the vinyl for, you know, like less than a hundred dollars. So it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a hard go. Good luck. Mm. Um, it's kind of, it kind of amazes me like what he is able to accomplish. Like I think with love, um, one of the first screenings, like it was in the collaboration with Frank Ocean and like Frank Ocean is like you know notoriously like elusive and like you know hard to get so that's also Mm -hmm. one of the things that like drew me into his work because I was like who is this like guy that's working with Frank Ocean like (laughs) on these weird like art films (laughs) well when you've got that kind of um like I I do think that Gasper is incredibly talented and I think when you've got that kind of talent you know people are just sort of attracted to that like they'll want to work with you right like uh I know he did a he did a Nick Cave music video sort of 2015-ish I think and uh it almost it like if you had said that that video was directed by David Lynch I wouldn't be surprised because it's got that kind of vibe to it as well just um it's a silhouette of someone walking through the woods for the entirety of the song and it just sort of fits it perfectly it's like so simple but works so well I would have loved to been a fly on the wall in the conversations between no way Nick Cave and like Warren Ellis. Like, yeah, I don't, that is just like next level. Like talk about like depraved. 
Yeah, it's like, can I just hang out for a while? You don't have to address me. I'll buy you drinks. Just let me sit here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so we get this, uh, like, hard, uh, like, disco uh, music sting that goes into the first dance number. And the thing that blew my mind about this sequence is they said uh, in the commentary that from starting rehearsal to having it completely filmed was two days. And like, that's kind of crazy because it's a five minute long choreographed dance sequence that they just are like, hey, let's just go for it. And they did it that quickly. Yeah, the first, yeah, like, I don't know what is it, like 45 minutes of the film is just like incredible. Like that dance scene, mm-hmm. I don't know how they were able to do that. Like it's so fluid and there's arms and legs everywhere. And yeah. isn't the shot, like it doesn't end, like it's like a 20 minute long shot or something like that, or even longer, maybe like 45 minutes. Yeah, for the first one, there, there are a couple invisible cuts, of course, but um not many like I think uh the entirety of that up to when it cuts to the like close-up uh you know the scenes where people are talking and it rapidly cuts between them um from the starting dance up to that I think it's four takes total like making up that entire 30 minutes of movie so they uh make good use of the single camera and that yeah like, that's like such a flex like yeah see what I can do <laughs> and one thing I love about this is it doesn't feel showboaty either that it's all one take like I've seen a lot of those one takers where it's just like at a certain point you're like oh I see what they're doing and it just kind of pulls you out of the movie but I didn't get that feeling from this one it just kind of added to it because of how chaotic the frame is the entire time and the camera always has something to follow but I know um the dancers for this I'm I'm also impressed too because I guess most of the people in the movie aren't professional dancers or actors they were people that he met at clubs and like uh at discos at balls and all that stuff and hired them just because they were that impressive in in like what they're passionate about and so most of the people in the movie aren't even actors and they still do a great job oh yeah that's it's amazing that they're not all professionally trained actors because like what he kind of drives them and directs them to do is like not something that I think I would be comfortable with like yeah. if I wasn't a seasoned actor but maybe that kind of shows like how good of a director he is yeah because uh, with this one also I think the script that he brought to people was five pages long and uh, most of the dialogue was improvised when they shot it he just got them to try and get in the head of their character and then just went from there would shout directions and just get them to interact as their characters and just filmed it and it's like god you have to know what you're doing to be able to make a movie that way and actually pull it off (laughs) yeah no doubt like I'm just kind of blown away that um it was so kind of improvised Mm -hmm. like I, I I've um in my limited experience, I have a hard enough time directing people when we have a full script to go off of, let alone, like, you know, like, I couldn't imagine showing up and be like, hey, just do something that's good, and I'll film it, and then hope that anything good will come out of it. (laughs) Yeah, so, hats off on that one, for sure. But yeah, so, we get this uh, dance sequence, and, and one thing I really like about it is that they blend all the different styles into it pretty seamlessly because uh, as he he was talking about he he would get people from different disciplines on purpose 
And so you get lots of sort of um, like queer culture, ball dancing, and then mix it in with like crumping and almost break dancing at times. And it was just, uh, it all flowed so well together, despite it being a bunch of different disciplines together. Uh, and maybe that's why it somehow feels like a controlled chaos, because that's sort of what the whole movie is. It's so chaotic, but it doesn't feel like it's getting out of hand until the movie gets out of hand. Like the first part feels very everyone's on top of things, even though it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, I, I wrote that down too, like how there's different styles of dancing. And I'm not uh, the biggest history buff, so I don't know like how the best to like comment mm -hmm. on this but um I think it was interesting like combining all of those different styles um like with kind of like the French nationalism that's going on in a way mm -hmm. yeah about that so when they're dancing like this scene opens up with that title card that we mentioned where it says a French film and proud of it and there's this giant glittery French flag uh behind the DJ booth I think at the end of the dance, some, what, someone says like, God in France blesses us or something like that, or God blesses France or like something very nationalistic and then very like, almost we are ordained to be so successful because of who we are. And then it immediately cuts to people being like, that shit weirded me out that they're like <laughs> that hardcore into it. Like, I think it's, um, especially given the colonial history, it's, uh, it's interesting where it'll, where it'll cut some white characters and they'll be talking about like, yeah, we're going to do this for France. This is great. Then it'll cut to a couple of black characters conversing. And they're just like, that flag is freaking me out. Kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, they're essentially the plot at this point is a bunch of dancers are rehearsing for a dance competition in the States that they're going to be going to. And they're rehearsing in this like closed down school. And I think it's supposed to be like a religious school or something like that. As they mentioned, the cross is everywhere and uh, all that uh, stuff. And that's uh, one of the interesting things is, I guess he said that he came up with this idea because it's based on an urban legend of something that actually happened. The uh, whole, a bunch of uh, dancers get got spiked with LSD at their after party and lost their minds is sort of like a French urban legend, according to what I was reading about this. And that's terrifying. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, just the thought that this could have happened in any capacity in like real life. Yeah. Something else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when they're done dancing, um, the person who's sort of, I think she's the choreographer or something like that is like, Hey, I made sangria and they all drink it. And then we see them all just sort of, I love that. They're all dancers that are like, Oh shit, our job is to dance. And we just did all this hard dancing time to knock off. What are we going to do? Let's dance. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you really love what you're doing. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. There's always movement in the movie. Like there's never yeah. a still scene. I think that's part of, part of what I, uh, why I love watching this movie so much. Like it's, it's, there's a, I, I'm pretty bad for at times, um, if I check out of a movie pretty bad, uh, pretty easily, it's easy for me to reach for my phone or, or do something to sort of distract myself if I'm not like in a theater setting. But every single time I've seen this movie, and it's been a lot, I'm just sort of glued to it. Like, just because, uh, and I think part of it is just how kinetic everything is and how, because the camera's roaming the entire time. The camera's like so 
barely still in this movie and everyone's moving through the frame. So it's almost like, like we said before, sort of like a controlled chaos, but it's so energetic to watch this movie. And I think that the way that it's filmed um, from an audience standpoint, like you almost feel like you're part of the, like you're part of the party. Like you Mm -hmm. don't want to look away because you might miss a moment. Like you're there and it's happening and it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely looks cooler than a lot of the parties I went to back in my partying <laughs> days. So there's that. And I mean, not even withstanding what happens, still looks cooler than a lot of the parties I went to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd written down like after the scene, um, it kind of like goes into just like conversations between the characters yeah. while there's like dancing going on and you kind of learn about the characters more and more. And mm-hmm. I had written down like, conversations are like the best part of any party like yeah you go to go but like what are you looking for and it's like conversations you're talking to a bunch of different people and Mm -hmm. from what I understand these people maybe only knew each other for like three days at that point that sounds right yeah yeah so I just kind of thought that was interesting like you go from like the dancing just right into cuts of conversation like very like slice of life yeah that, that, that's a, a good point because I know when I would go to things where I don't really know people I always enjoyed the ones best where I'd put myself out there and just start talking to people like those were the ones that were always the most fun mm-hmm. because uh, yeah like you said you can only sort of stand in the corner like looking at your watch for so long before it's like I need to either talk to people or just leave this fucking party yeah <laughs> and then the conversations I think um were sort of like directed improv for a lot of it. Like uh, it, it wasn't scripted material, but it was more like uh, the director would throw out suggestions and then ask actors. Like I, I remember one of the things that I read uh, about the making of is his dictum to actors was like, get into your character. We're going to improvise a lot of it. We're going to get you to just really uh, like, I'm going to ask you to do things, but I don't want anyone to do anything they're not comfortable with. Like, he made it clear that it's like, I'll be throwing directions at you, just do the ones that you're okay doing. And mm-hmm. uh, these actors must have given a lot because like some of the stuff they say in these conversations are pretty harsh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, um, yeah, totally. I know the two guys that are having just like a prolonged uh, sort of like filthy sex talk session kind of thing. That was um, a reference to the movie Quarrel, which I've never seen. Um, but it's one of the VHS tapes in the side by the TV at the start. And I guess like the whole thing was like, people were just sort of raunchy in that. Yeah. I I apologize if I'm misremembering what I heard in the commentary, but it's sort of like, Hey, I'm doing a reference to this thing. So can you just be nastier with the stuff you're saying? And I guess they were just (laughs) like, but that's not who we are. It's like, no, but is it who your character is? And they're like, Oh shit. Good point. So, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I also noted that a lot, actually, not a lot, all of the conversations that were had during these scenes were about um, sex. Like they're talking mm-hmm. about having sex or they're talking about like children or being pregnant or abortion. Like it all has to do with um, sex and bodies. Like essentially, I think this movie is just about bodies and you know what they're 
able to do and not do. That's and I think this kind of lays it out. Yeah, because I, I I think uh, dancing is sort of often considered one of the more primal art forms in like sense of like uh, how connected it is to the body, and um, you know, dance can be very intellectual, but it's also one of those things that you really feel in the body and. So that's interesting that the conversations kind of latch onto that, even though they're not talking about the dance aspect, like they're sort of mirroring each other a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like they're still talking about bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, as is typical with the Noe movie, things go south. It comes to light that the sangria they've been drinking has been spiked with LSD. And uh, that's, uh, I don't know if this is a dick move on my part, but I've shown this movie to a few people now. And every time I've shown this movie, I've made a huge batch of sangria just to serve with it. (laughs) Just not said anything. Of course, mine wasn't spiked, but I figure it it fits perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they drink spiked sangria and it almost, like, I think the best description I can think of for this is it turns into Dante's Inferno, basically. And I'm not the first person to say that, like, I'm not claiming that as an original thought on this but it's so wild how it just it feels like every turn in the plot at this point just is almost like a further descent into hell with everything that's going on absolutely i never thought about it like that but like yeah totally we first get the like they're they're not quite sure what's going on but they clue into pretty quickly that they must have been spiked, especially when uh, that one character, Psyche, just starts pissing on the floor and just staring at people like, hey, this is normal and good. And it's like, <laughs> okay, um, something's not right. And so they immediately start blaming the people who haven't been drinking. Well, first they blame the lady who made the sangria, but she points out that she was been drinking it the whole night. Um, so she wouldn't have spiked it. Uh, so they go after the people who haven't been drinking and like immediately descend on this one dude who just turned it down, says he doesn't drink. And that's reason enough that they throw him out into the middle of a blizzard. Um, <laughs> yeah, like that's, I'll, I'll, I'll admit my um, not very hip upbrings in that I haven't done acid myself, but from the people I know who have, that's quite an escalation that's happened. But I guess there's also the fact that they don't know they're doing acid or they didn't choose to do acid. So maybe that's part of why they just go so hard right out of the gate. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I am on the same boat, but I think also like they're drinking and I don't know how much. That's a good point. Um, uh, like LSD you could take before it's like considered like, you know, be kind of like poisoned, like, you know, greening yeah. out, but like, I don't know if there's like enough that you could take that would like induce full psychosis, but I think that's kind of like what happens here. Oh God, I hope it's not the same as greening out because then someone would just have to say the word acid next to me and I'd fucking lose it. <laughs> I green out so damn easily. <laughs> yeah, one thing that is kind of cool about this is like the film is going so fast and then it's kind of like that point of the party where like maybe you're like oh like I feel like really drunk like I don't feel that good I should probably like go home or like mm-hmm. I should go sleep or lay down but instead like the party just keeps going so it's like the peak of like feeling bad and but you can't go to sleep you know like you just have to keep going through it and yeah. uh, everything kind of gets lower and there's like kind of more like it feels like it's 
slow motion, even though it's not. Right. I, I totally get what you're saying, um, both in terms of how the film's done. And I've been there in terms of that turning point of the party where it's like, oh, no, I've crossed the line. I shouldn't have drank that much. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess this half the film is like the other side of that. Yeah, the sort of regret side of things. And uh, it shows up in the way they film it, too, because they use a lot of image stabilization in the first half of the movie to make it look almost like steady cams. And then we have the still shots of the conversations. And then everything after that is more handheld. So it just gets chaotic and goes from there as they've uh, real as they realize what's happened to them. And uh, I always like that when people actually um, think about what they're trying to convey in terms of the technique. I, I don't know. I love it when people do that technique. And I think for, for that's sort of one of the things that Noe does best is having the technique really mirror what you're watching. Like, I don't think I felt that quite as heavy as I did watching uh, Vortex, for example, just where like the way the whole design perfectly suits the subject matter that he's shooting. Yeah, like he's so experimental, but in a very like disciplined way. Yeah. And a lot of respect for that, because I think um, there's a lot of movies I've seen where they try to get weird with the camera, but it doesn't feel motivated in a way I can get onto. And I also have a hard time with the whole like you have to justify everything in like a very specific way, because I kind of like filmmakers that are willing just to get weird with it. But you have to have that sensibility otherwise, because I've seen so many too many, or sorry, I've seen too many movies where um weird things happen like weird camera moves that just feel completely unmotivated and it's like okay why did the camera swirl through the window for no fucking reason that's yeah, that just like, took just me out of the scene <laughs> yeah. i feel like that's very late 90s itis where like these movies are just like hey we're the hip 90s let's do cool things with the camera because tarantino made it big and then it's just like oh <laughs> maybe you could just not do that though like honestly i think that was my biggest beef with watching his first movie i stand alone is it came out in 98 and it feels most like he wasn't sure of himself in terms of his style. Like it was very, one of those like hip 90 movies kind of styles at times. And that's anytime that sort of stuff happened, it took me right out of the movie. Yeah. It seems like I wouldn't really enjoy that film too much because if it's so removed from like what his style is now, well, I don't know. The, the most annoying thing about that movie for my mind, and I've, I've only seen it once and I watched it, it ended about a half hour before we started recording. Um, <laughs> so it's still fresh on the mind, but the most annoying thing about it was he does the text stuff where like a huge text thing will show up and just uh, have like a philosophical statement like he like he does in this movie that we've been talking about. And then I guess the, the titles is on at the end credits, they actually happen at the end of the movie, but they look very annoying despite that nice yeah but um no he's really good with his uh discipline and technique and the last once uh the conversations have ended and we it cuts to this scene where they've realized what's happening by starting on a close-up of a glass of sangria or a, like a party cup one of those red party cups full of sangria and uh like an overhead and then it pans up and that shot going right to the end montage is one take or designed to look like one take at least and uh it doesn't feel obnoxious at all like I don't sit there noticing that it's one take but also it, it like it, it flows because there's always something to focus on without it feeling like oh they're just buying time because they did a one taker 
like so many of those are just so clunky and this isn't that this works really well in my opinion yeah I agree like you can't really tell um but at the same time you can tell that it's like one shot Mm -hmm. yeah because it just flows so well and it like moves with the characters and all of their movements and it's probably good to know like at this point everyone's pretty fucking high and they are moving around like they are possessed and need an exorcism like there's zombies who haven't had a meal in 10 years yeah the way that these people are moving and because they're dancers they're able to contort their bodies and so oh, the contortionist dancer is incredible. Like, I think there's a point where Window Licker by AVEX Twin is playing. The entire thing's bathed in red light. And there's this contortionist just dancing in the background while you hear some kids screaming. And it's just yeah. like, this is hell. <laughs> this is what hell looks like. So, yeah, kudos. So like, yeah, like these people look mm-hmm. just like, like they look scary. And this is kind of where you get like, horror part of the film to kind of come in yeah I I think it's um interesting because I would definitely call this a horror movie but it's not an obvious horror movie by any stretch of it like it it does that sort of genre bending really well like I I I don't know I think some of my favorite horror movies are the ones that kind of they either have to be so horror it hurts like I'm talking like Lucio Fulci kind of splatter fests or genre bending stuff that it's like I don't even know what I'm watching those are my favorites I don't like those I don't like things that sit in the middle you know that's boring yeah like the the horror sneaks up on you it's like oh yeah yeah some of the horrors in this movie uh, I think part of what makes it work what makes it so horrifying is they're so um I don't know what the word would be like maybe naturalistic in that there's nothing supernatural happening, but it's filmed with a supernatural fervor. But like the things that are happening are just like very bleak human horrors. Like um, the woman who her son drinks the lace sangria. So she locks him in the electric, the like the room with the circuit breaker and all that stuff and then loses the key. And that's like... Uh, you know exactly what's going to happen as soon as she throws him in there, but it's still horrifying anyway. Yeah, like that scene is like probably the second worst thing in the movie. Um, and yeah, like you you see like this kid, um, he's the only kid that's there. He's like really cute. Like he like loves dancing. Like his mom, I think is the choreographer. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know why she's not able to dance. Like there's something that's said later on in the movie um no I'm sorry that's a different woman anyways yeah you see her son he's like dancing and like yeah then you realize that he is drinking some of the sangria and mm. you know like the, the exact same thing that's happening to everyone else is going to be happening to him and like that is just horrifying yeah. in itself like this kid is like eight years old yeah and yeah he's about to have the absolute worst time of his life And this movie works in such an interesting way where I know every time I've seen it, and I always feel bad about this, this is a spoiler, of course. If you haven't figured out right now, when we talk about a movie on this show, we we spoil the shit out of it. But (laughs) I feel so bad for the kid, like so bad for him. And he gets locked in this thing and he's terrified and scared and the, the mother's looking for the key she lost. But then even still, every time when the power goes out and you know what's happened and then someone goes, oh shit, Tito's fried. 
I laugh every fucking time and I feel so bad about it. It's like, that's not funny, but just the, and there's this long pause that you just hear someone in the back go, oh shit, Tito's fried. And it's like, that's not funny, but that made me laugh because of the timing. Yeah, it's, um, I forgot about that. And when somebody yelled that, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's so bad. It's so bad. And like you hear Tito, the kid screaming through pretty oh, much God. the rest of the movie because he's locked in this like concrete room. He's hallucinating. Yeah. He's yelling for his mom. He's saying there's cockroaches everywhere. Like there's something in here with me. Um, oh, it's and so before bad. she like locks him in, she's like, do not touch this thing like yeah. you will die check out <laughs> circuit then, breaker yeah and then yeah throughout the whole mix the rest of the film you just hear him screaming apparently what they did for the audio too is at a certain point they got different kids to the voice and they got like someone involved in these to do it because they wanted the voice to get higher and higher just to like make it almost oh, wow. like unearthly like just to really sort of like tighten the screws on how bad you're feeling with that that's that's happening (laughs) and I think it was effective because I felt fucking awful for that kid yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, but you mentioned that's what you think is maybe the second worst thing in the movie what what do you think's the worst thing in the movie uh for me the worst thing in the movie and I guess this kind of still goes along plot wise is um one of our main characters I think her name's Siva, she's one of, I think she's like the dance troupe owner. And we mm-hmm. kind of follow her um, into the rooms where like the dancers are staying. And um, she walks into this room and this girl's like throwing up and she's like, oh, are you sick? Like, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like everyone's sick. And she's like, oh, I didn't drink. And they kind of have this conversation about, um, she's like, can I tell you a secret? The girl like admits that she's pregnant and that's why she's not drinking and like that's why she feels sick and um one thing that kind of our main character is it Selva? I think Selva oh yeah Selva um she kind of asked her she's like oh are you keeping it and she says like yeah um and then they kind of talk about abortion briefly and Selva says it's nice to have the choice right and then not 40 seconds later that choice is taken away mm-hmm. from her because one of the dancers comes upstairs and she says like she's sick she wasn't drinking they start accusing the pregnant girl of um spiking the drink mm-hmm. and then this dancer just kicks the shit out of her like she hits her in the stomach she kicks her in the stomach um that was, and then she yeah. leaves that was absolutely brutal and she sell the the person getting beaten up sells how brutal it is. I think her and Selva were the only two actor actors in the thing, and I could buy that with her mm. performance here because like it's gut wrenching. Yeah, I that scene was the worst to rewatch. I was like, oh my god, especially just paired with her being like, it's nice to have the choice. Yeah, like I don't know, Gas Renault is a, a real one for that one. <laughs> <laughs> He has a way of really twisting the knife. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then um, when she goes out there and, uh, you know, like confronts the, the dancer who beat her up, the dancer just like, is like, oh, she didn't drink. She's claiming she's pregnant. She probably spiked us. And then everyone just like forming a circle and yelling at her to kill herself was just so 
it felt gross, especially because the like you've mentioned before, where the way that's filmed, you feel like you're in the party. It just mm-hmm. kind of felt gross just sitting there watching this happen. Exactly. And like you see, like she like touches her like crotch and like there's blood everywhere because she yeah. like, miscarried the baby. Yeah. Um, and then she just like she has this breakdown because everyone's yelling at her. They're like pushing her around mm-hmm. and she cuts up her arms and her face. And just like, yeah, really like breaks down. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. And uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that being kind of the worst part of the movie. And it's interesting because that is during the freak out, all things considered, that's pretty early on. But the movie doesn't lose steam in that sort of way. Like it still feels kind of horrible as it keeps going, even if nothing hits that high of how horrible or that low, I guess, of how horrible it is. Yeah, so, like, that kind of happens on the stairs close to the dance hall. And then I think we kind of go back into, like, the room. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get some more, like, character work. And, like, there's this really interesting scene um, in the hallway. So when, um, like, the pregnant lady is, like, walking down um, to confront the dancer who kicked her, it's very kind of possession-like. But then immediately after... Selva has like the most like perfect like possession reference yeah. like like ever. It's so intense and like it goes through like different colors and different rooms mm-hmm. and she's just like hallucinating like losing it. But I thought it was kind of interesting how she's the one that's having this. I guess like this like scene that references possession when the other girl is the one who's having like the miscarriage. Right. Because I think, like, in possession, that's kind of what it's supposed to be. Like, she's supposed to be kind of, like, miscarrying in the train station. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, well, for exactly what you said, because, uh, like, that it's in possession, it's the breakdown of the family dynamic is a large part of the horror. And she's the mother role in this family. Uh, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that, why they would uh, transpose the character like that. I mean, she does a great job with the performance, but yeah, plot-wise. Yeah, this movie, and I guess, like, majority of his other movies are really about, like, children and abortion. Like, I think in almost every movie that I've seen, it's mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of wonder what his, like, his, like, MO around abortion is, because he, like, uses it in all of his films. Yeah, it's, um, cause right, it's, uh, well, I don't want to get too spoiler, but yeah, pretty much all of his movies, like, there's, uh, even, it even comes up in I Stand Alone, which is his first featured film. And it's weird because for the most of his movies, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily condemning or supporting it. And I don't know, I have feelings about the whole, like, detach, detachedness from it because it's such a, decisive topic that it's like interesting that you're taking it just like I'm just gonna stand back stance from it yeah exactly or I guess like maybe his stance is like it's nice to have the choice but yeah when Mm. I was kind of watching this today and noticed that I was like oh that's really interesting um where I hadn't like put that together before I forget what happens in vortex um regarding that but um yeah that's the thing about his movies where like, you know, we've seen this multiple times and I'm still just kind of puzzling over it. 
I have a lot of respect for someone who can make a movie that, you know, I don't feel like I have it pinned down even when I've seen it a few times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything's going to shit. Everyone's breaking down to a great soundtrack as they do. So, and there's some, there's some heavy scenes in here. Like I guess, um, pretty much everyone was hired as a dancer that he just sort of found or was recommended by other dancers. And then one of them was like, oh, here's a stunt woman who can also dance. So you can tell why he hired a stunt woman there when her fucking head gets set on fire. And it's like, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, this movie escalates. I love that scene so much. Yeah. And I, I love the um, the conceit that it's just like, oh, we're all fucked up on acid. We better get some coke to fix ourselves with. And they're, like, yeah. going after the dealer because it's just, like, gotta get some coke. Yeah, it's, like, the only thing that they think will bring them down. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, I've seen that, uh, well, you know, doing a lot of writing, I my, my Google search history probably has me on a few watch lists because, you know, like, doing stuff <laughs> like, how much crack can you smoke before you OD if you're drinking bourbon at the same time and shit like that? <laughs> uh, I've, seen, I've seen a chart somewhere that, like, is just, like, one of those sort of, like, battleship game boards like you've got the x-axis and the y-axis and other blocks of like what happens when you mix these drugs and so it's just like you could probably go along the chart and find like ah lsd and coke this is what happens and so i guess some things the the answer really is like oh i took too much of this drug time to do more drugs about it exactly and um i was reading earlier like in this film like it's it's well noted that like Gaspar Noé is like a he he was like a pretty big user. I don't think he mm. is anymore. Um, but he was writing about like how he's seen people do more insane shit while being under the influence of alcohol than he has on drugs. You know. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting because he is like I don't know he's very pro. Um, drug use in his films but also in a way he's like it it really kind of like shows what can happen I think like uh, it's not guess, sugar-coated like, yeah exactly like it's very like real like in this yeah. film or like enter the void um mm -hmm. I like when this film came out no sorry when um so Vortex premiered at con and that's when yeah. we found out that uh Gaspar Noe had a huge brain hemorrhage and right. uh, was in the hospital for months and months. And I was honestly scared that he was gonna die. Like I thought Vortex was his like final movie. I thought he was on his deathbed, but he made a really like great full recovery. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of like now, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like he's had like an experience with death in kind of a different mm. way, whereas maybe before or he kind of had a different view of death, like, you know, being like, uh, like a user and stuff like that. Like he had a different kind of like view of mm -hmm. um, kind of what that could mean. And I think that kind of comes across like in climax and then you watch like Vortex afterwards and it's like yeah. Vortex is like an end of life film. Like it's like a quiet kind of like very sad film where this is like, a film about death but in like a fun way yeah yeah i also think of vortex and enter the void would be very good companion pieces for like pretty much what you just outlined there 
And on the drug answer, what or a question, I remember reading, you know, depends how correct the source was, but I guess uh, the near death experience also made him go sober because of it. So mm-hmm. that might be his, um, or changes. Yet, yeah, you know, drugs aren't absent from um, Vortex either, but it is portrayed in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Vortex yeah, was Yeah, it just certainly was. Like that last shot is just so good. I think I found Vortex probably the most like emotionally affecting of his movies. Like when it was over, I was just sitting there feeling kind of particularly gutted by it. And it's like, this is the least controversial, the least obscene, the least whatever of his movies, but it was like the most punch you in the guts from, from what I've seen. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And I was, I was really impressed and shocked with how well Dario Argento did in it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, he's doing a good job in this movie. And I loved his, like, office. Like, in Uh, Vortex, his office has, like, posters all over because he's, uh, I think, a screenwriter or something in the movie. And it's kind of, like, is very, like, no way where, like, he peppers in, like, his influences Mm -hmm. in the film. And uh, I want to, like, have a close-up on, like, their huge bookcase because I want to know what books that they're reading. But, um, yeah. (laughs) Just overflowing. Uh, Yeah, I very much love his office. And it's like, I I would enjoy that kind of a setting to to do work in. Um, But yeah, back to Climax. Uh, So all of this misery and wildness that unfolds. Before I forget, because we were talking about the pregnancy aspect of it, this is something I didn't pick up on in the movie, but he mentioned in the commentary. Is part of why the woman who's pregnant is so cagey about it is that um, the pregnancy happened because she hooked up with Selva's boyfriend, Dancer. But that's not really made that clear in the movie. Like, hearing it, I can totally see it with the way they interact, but I didn't pick up on that. Was that something that you saw when you were watching it? No, not at all. And Like, if Selva's boyfriend character, is he kind of like the like the tracksuit guy yeah the tracksuit guy the uh yeah yeah the tracksuit guy yeah (laughs) i did not pick up on that at all there is like a lot of characters in this movie though so Mm -hmm. and it moves so fast i would yeah i would be surprised if a lot of people did pick up on that yeah it was was definitely being kind of like cagey because like if you have a baby or whatever, um, like when you're a woman and a dancer, like it mm-hmm. takes a toll on your body and maybe right. she like didn't want people to know because she wanted to like be able to work for longer or something. I don't really, I'm not entirely sure, but right. that's what I thought it was. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that it was, uh, yeah, because she was like, oh, I don't know who like the guy is. Yeah. And then later on in the film, when they're kicking the shit out of her, like they're yeah. like screaming at her and they're like who's the daddy yeah um because <laughs> i only found that like i heard that in the commentary which was the last time i've seen it so when i get around to watching it again it'll be interesting to see um how how prevalent that is in the movie if it's like oh i totally mm-hmm. see that like i can think of a couple moments like there's the scene when she's uh right when uh selva says it's nice to have the choice they're interrupted by uh, this David character, I think's his name. And, is that a uh, guy? Yeah, yeah. 
And she like just goes cold in the conversation when that happens. And like, that's the only thing I can think of, but it'll be interesting to see if there's more in the movie now that I know that that's kind mm-hmm. of what was supposed to be going on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah, so things devolve. They uh, all kind of lose their collective minds. And uh, well, he said that uh, this is supposed to be a sort of Tower of Babel story where like all these people build something in the first half of their dance and then they lose their minds and destroy it in the second half. And um, I could totally see that with the way things devolve in this. Yeah, yeah, like they work together to create this like beautiful piece of art. And then in a moment, it's completely wrecked. And a lot of people like, you know, ruin their lives, really, or like, die. (laughs) Yeah, 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 some people just uh, die. Uh, A lot of people are in complete misery. And a lot of people just kind of lost their minds. And we get that sort of little montage showing um, all the characters at the end. Like some people are just not moving in a pool of their own vomit. Some people are freaking out. Some people are sleeping peacefully. Uh, And I I enjoyed the soundtrack choice of just having that instrumental version of Angie playing over it. I'm like, I'm so glad you did this instead of like the Eagles, because that's kind of what it sounded like could have been happening. But I'm like, oh, thank God you didn't do that. Then uh, the end, the end reveal. Did you see that coming as to who was dosing everybody? You know, I did. Um, yeah. And the, the first time, because when you watch the interviews, um, are, are we like, are, are we talking yeah, no, about the ending? Go for it. it. Okay. We can go through the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. So when you um, watch the interviews, like I think the only time LSD is mentioned is from the character Psyche. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about how her friend would do like LSD through his eyes or whatever, like something like that. Um, And then, yeah, like I, I actually kind of forgot who was like, I knew it was one of the blondes, but I couldn't remember who. So I was like at the end, I was like, Oh yeah, it was like her. Um, But yeah, like at the end, there's like the final shot and she, it's just like vibing on her bed you see like her knapsack open and she has like a book on like lsd which i thought was like a little like heavy-handed in yeah. a way it was just like here's lsd um, i have a book that's just called acid the history of lsd with a big garish cover like that so it could yeah. happen yeah exactly i guess so <laughs> and like maybe she was reading something yeah. about that and like maybe she wanted to have like this spiritual moment. Like I don't know what her like motivation yeah. was liking the punches. But you then you see her and she's like putting in like acid eye drops at the end. And yeah. it's just like I guess you just like learned nothing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh it's funny because um I didn't know who had spiked it while watching it. And then as soon as it showed that scene, my main reaction was like, a fucking course it was her. Because like I remembered the start with like the acid conversation but for some reason it didn't quite click for me and i've one of my friends i showed this to as soon as it showed her it's like oh of course it was her like we had the exact same reaction of just like it's so obvious yet it actually got by me the first time i saw it which i found kind of wild given how obvious it feels on um looking back yeah but then they kind of they don't show her too much during 
like the whole breakdown like she has some scenes with her girlfriend like in the beginning um Mm -hmm. like on the stairs and stuff and then yeah like you see her like taking a piss in the middle of the dance floor (laughs) yeah and then I don't really think you see her too much after that until kind of the end when the police come and she's just like dancing she's the only one like left standing and she's dancing I think there's one shot that kind of gives it away in the way that I'm surprised I didn't pick up on it where um, Selva goes to daddy, the DJ, and is like freaking out and talking to him. And as he's just like, oh, that's why this tastes like shit. She's just in the background, arms raised triumphantly in front of the flag, just dancing away. And it's just like, ah, she's right fucking there gloating over everyone. And I didn't even see this. That's so funny. And it's yeah. funny that she's like right in front of the French flag. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it always makes me think because I know from um, being the sort of like trying to, to make things creatively, there's always that thing of like, how much is too much? Am I giving too much of a hand? Am I being too obtuse? And it's funny watching this one because I felt like you had me tricked or not tricked. Cause I didn't think it was someone else. I just didn't know who it was, but I didn't piece it together until the end. And then it made it so blindingly obvious that I almost felt stupid for not piecing it together before that point. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I I don't know. Like the ending is interesting. And I was reading that, like, you didn't necessarily like have an ending in mind. Yeah. And I guess in some ways, like you can tell, like, it's just, it ends and I, I think like the first time I saw it I saw it with a couple of people and they didn't realize that like she was putting LSD in her eyes like they just like didn't realize that part so oh, they were like okay. so, so who did it like, <laughs> it's like her like she did it okay especially with the book that just says LSD and the next book next to it is Christian F and she's doing the thing she said at the start <laughs> but I mean hey that's well, I didn't a- uh, I didn't realize that was the other book yeah yeah she had a Christian F book there that's pretty funny because that's a whole movie about like um I that's like one of like the movies that my mom's like I remember watching that movie when I was a teenager and after that I didn't want to do drugs (laughs) I still want to see that one I have a copy but I've never seen it yeah me either um and yeah I kind of want to watch it because I just like want to know what my mom like well, like I was like you watched that movie like that's like really interesting all right well we'll have to do a, a movie night sometime and watch Christian F yeah <laughs> and not do acid and not do acid while we watch Christian F that sounds <laughs> like a very good plan <laughs> yeah it always blows my mind in these movies when you see people partying hard where it's just like oh yeah this person's just got the hookup for coke this person has the acid oh if you want heroin go over there or it's just like damn am i that square because if you asked me to get you like a full sugar pepsi i'd have a hard time like actual (laughs) drugs uh yeah very true (laughs) yeah but hey not all of us were meant to be cool quote unquote huge air quotes on cool yeah and then yeah like the movie kind of ends but ends with the title card climax um Mm -hmm. and I was kind of like reflecting on like the title um because like when you said it's kind of like the Tower of Babylon like I guess that's kind of what the climax is like they reach the peak 
and then it they descend and you kind of like the music speeds up and the dancing speeds up kind of I think where like the peak is supposed to be um Mm -hmm. like when they're like hanging out afterwards and like they're rolling on the floor and like having like a dance circle yeah because it like the dancing speeds up the music speeds up it like reaches its peak and then immediately after that it like declines um yeah yeah, I don't know. Definitely like interesting movie, super fun to watch. Definitely a bit brutal, but um, yeah, a, a great piece of work. Yeah, like like I, I think I mentioned at the top, this is uh, if not the one of my favorite movies of the 21st century, and I can't quite pin down why I like it so much. But I, I've never had a bad time watching this movie, and I've seen this movie a lot of times. So uh, a lot of respect for for uh, a filmmaker who make a movie that it feels just as effective on like the fifth watch as it did the very first time I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say on Climax? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we kind of covered it. Like it's a pretty short movie. Um, yeah. And like there isn't, like a lot of talking in it there's like quite a bit of scenes but also like a lot of the scenes are just of people like you know look like like zombies like they're just yeah. like doing their thing so it's kind of like it's definitely one of those movies where, like you have to watch to get it yeah I, I think that's fair have to watch to get it for sure and then I guess as far as tying into his other movies I guess a quick and easy way to do that is um how do, you, how do you feel about his other movies you've seen when you think of them in terms of the feelings Climax gave you? Like, do you find that they're wildly different or can you draw parallels? Like, where, where do you where do you think this fits into his uh, his oeuvre? I think that it's a really good follow-up to Enter the Void. I think mm-hmm. Enter the Void is like the film that everyone thinks of when you say like Gaspar Noé. And yeah, like it definitely like into his like filmography and in some ways I think it like kind of defines it more than anything like it's this like really solid piece um and like when Enter the Void came out in 2009 2009. yeah so is this his no and then when did Love come out Love was 2015 I want to say oh okay Um, then so it wasn't wasn't a follow-up to Enter the Void but um I guess it's then in some ways it like combines Enter the Void and Love into like one movie. Okay, interesting. Because uh, I have a frame of reference for Enter the Void, but like I've said, I've never seen Love, so I don't really know how that compares to, to his other movies. Um, do you have a favorite kind of, of his movies? Yeah, I don't know. Like when it comes to favorites, um, I think Climax is like the one of the best times I've had watching one of his movies. So. Okay. I'll probably have to go with that one. Um, I've really liked Enter the Void. Like, I just think it's kind of incredible, especially, like, where we kind of said, like, he's really experimental, but um, it's also very, like, distinguished. Yeah. Um, Enter the Void's a hard one I have recommending to a lot of people because uh, it's, you know, you ha- I think you have to really know who you're recommending to uh, sensibilities when it comes to movies. Yeah, uh, that one. (laughs) Yeah, I um the first time I saw that movie, like I mentioned, was in New York, and I was traveling with my friend, and she's not a big film 
person. Okay. Um, and I was like, you know, like, I really want to see this, like, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, like, you're welcome to come. And she's like, okay, it sounds good. Um, <laughs> and she had the worst time of oh, her whole no. life. And the audience was also, like, like probably one of the worst audiences where it was filmed oh, with, like, a bunch of, like, film bros. And they were, like, moaning and groaning and, like, laughing throughout the whole thing. And it was just, like... I was like, am I the only one here taking it seriously? <laughs> yeah, that sucks. An audience can really make or break an experience at the theater. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm watching Gaspar Noé on film. Like, leave me alone. Yeah, let, let me have this. Yeah, like, come on. Um, so I kind of think about that also when I think of Enter the Void. Like, right. I kind of have this negative experience, but at the same time, like, it was, like, amazing. <laughs> Yeah. I almost wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, fair enough. Um, That would be, uh, that would be a cool one to see at the theater, for sure. I don't think I've seen a single Noe movie at the theater, and that makes me sad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I watched, I saw Vortex at Metro, Climax at Metro, Love, I saw at Home, Edge of Void, I saw at the cinema, so yeah, I, I don't know. His films are different when you watch them, like, at the theater. Like, most I can things, believe it. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just reading my uh, letterbox review for Enter the Void. Yeah. It's, like, so funny. <laughs> A good quote is, like, so I was, like, talking about, like, so I was, like, this is my first, like, theater experience in New York City, and I was, like, holy, like, Metrograph is the future cinema going. I could easily meet like-minded individuals here. No one ends up at the cinema by accident until the first titty appeared on stage and nearly every single man in the theater laughed and laughed and on it went for nearly three hours. Oh, no. (laughs) That's rough. Yeah, I think you really have to hope for a like-minded audience watching these movies. Yeah, totally. Um, Is uh, Gaspar Noe someone that you would recommend to other people in your life if you're like, hey, you want to get into cinema? Or do you feel like it's... uh, Yeah, no, okay. No, I no, I don't. I don't subject anyone to that. Sometimes, like, um, so, like the the cinematographer of Climax um, shot like Spring Breakers, which is like oh, the okay. Harmony Corinne film, right? And I, I guess like Gaspar Noé and like Harmony Corinne are kind of like the, like two of like the like cinema bad boys that I like really like and respect. And sometimes right. I tell people to watch a Gummo. <laughs> but I, I I would I don't know I wouldn't tell him to watch Gaspar Noé's film. I love that. It's like I'll tell people to watch Gummo, but I draw the line at. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, um, I feel like this has been a pretty fruitful discussion of climax. Was there anything you wanted to add in general to any of that before we call it a day? No. I'm All just, right. I'm curious. I'm wait that's actually not true I am curious um maybe what people make of Gaspar Noe's um obsession with abortion that is interesting because you're right that peppers his work yeah um yeah I have to think about that and kind of see what I think about it and I'd be curious to hear other people's mm-hmm. opinions um yeah. and one thing I'd like to add is one really great podcast he was on is the 
Saint Laurent. Um, I think it's called Smoking in the Dark podcast. Okay. And um, like that's like I think that they did all of the looks in like Lux Eterna and are like were a big funding part of um, Lux Eterna as well. Okay. But, uh, that's just a really great podcast in general because they talk with like, kind of all of the, the like the French like directors and actors that are like more kind of subversive. Oh, that's really cool. What what's that one called? Uh, I think it's called Smoking in the Dark. Smoking in the Dark. I'll have to look into that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, their episodes are in French, and then they like do a voiceover in English. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, sorry, the podcast is called St. Laurent Smoking the Podcast. Saint so if you Laurent's... just type the brand in to um, wherever you listen to podcasts, I'm sure it'll come up. Oh, perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, I'm definitely going to look into that. And that is a good question to pose. What do you think of uh, Gaspar Noe's obsession with uh, pregnancy and abortion? Because they all come up in his movies in one form or another, it seems. Um. But before we uh, call it a day, we always like to do recommendations here. We recommend something related to the conversation, the movies, the themes or whatever. Did you have any particular movie or anything you wanted to recommend if people enjoyed the things we're talking about? Yeah, I have three. Is okay. That okay, that's absolutely okay. Okay, well, I'll go first with Gummo if you want just like subversive, like kind of fucked up cinema that's like a little bit lighter um and like that has like a lot of really cool like film techniques and is very like I don't know gritty um I could honestly do a whole podcast about Harmony Korine um and how incredible I think he is but um my second one would be The Square by uh Ruben Austin um okay he he's I kind of mentioned him before. He uses like a lot of text in his films. Um, and he had a really funny movie that came out this year called Triangle of Sadness, where also it's okay. um, prevalent in that. Um, and then I recently watched Tar. Um, oh, okay. And uh, is the director Todd Field? Yes. No. Yes. Yeah, yeah. directed by um, Todd Field. And it has its credits in the beginning and Beautiful. it's also kind of about a descent into badness. Um, great film, just like, you know, so opposite from this, but in the same way, just like very similar. Cool. cool. And they're both about music. Oh, I love it. That's one that I've been wanting to see. I've, uh, from the reactions, it sounds like it's a kind of movie I'd get into. Yeah. I think, um, you can download it now. Okay. I don't know. I don't know when it'll be out on uh, DVD or Blu-ray or DVD. Well, on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. It'll it'll show up somewhere at some point. I am sure. Yeah. But yeah, end. that's a great film. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, three recommendations, and they are all things that I have both depressingly not seen, but I'm happy because I will get a chance to see them, especially Gummo. That's been on my list for years. So. so good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll watch Gummo and I'll let you know what I thought of it. Um, my recommendation is just going to keep it simple. I'm recommending Vortex, his uh, newest feature film, because it absolutely destroyed my guts when I saw it in a very emotionally sad 
bleak way, but in a way that I thought, I'm so glad I watched this. That's uh yeah, so that's Vortex for me. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, thanks, Lori. I love talking with you, so happy to do it. Okay, cool. Well, um, hoping, of course, that this won't be the uh, last time you stop by. But uh, until next time, I guess, take it easy and keep it sleazy. Thank you.